It's good to see all of you. Uh, if you don't know, uh, we, my family and I, we've been gone for three weeks traveling to see family, and a few people have asked, oh, are you rested? And I'm like, is it ever restful to go see your family? Uh, but we had a great trip. I uh, went down to the island and then down to Idaho to see my wife's family and did a big loop. So uh, I do want to thank um, the guys that preached the last couple of weeks, so Corland and Peter and Don. Um, they did a phenomenal job preaching. Um, you are very blessed to have great, gifted men in this church who can preach. And it was nice not having to worry, oh my goodness, what is Corlin going to say? What am I going to deal with when I get back? I just knew that all three of them uh, would just faithfully preach the word. So I want to thank them for doing that. And kids, you're going to just stay in the service with us. Uh, so parents just want to make you aware of that. Um, they're going to stay with us. Why don't you grab a Bible? And you can turn to the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in chapter 14 um, this morning. Let me just remind you, we're, we've now moved into the upper room discourse. So in the start of John 13, it was the end of Jesus' public ministry. And now from chapter 13, really up until the end of chapter 17, it's just Jesus and His disciples, His twelve and now, even last week, now Judas, the betrayer, has left, so it's just Jesus and his 11 disciples, and what he's doing is he's, he's, he's about to be betrayed, put on trial, arrested, crucified, buried, and so what he's doing is he's encouraging and teaching his disciples for what's to come, right? Because I'm sure that they're very confused. They're going, what is, what is happening as Jesus is crucified, as he's as he's um, buried, even after he's resurrected, resurrected and he, he ascends to his father, I'm sure they were going, uh, what do we do now? And so Jesus spends this time teaching and encouraging and, and showing his disciples what's to come next. So this is the upper room discourse. And what's fascinating is that five times in these chapters that we're going to see, Jesus is specifically going to teach his disciples and talk about the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to see a few times in our passage this morning, Jesus is going to teach his disciples, this is what's coming. After I leave, you're not going to be left alone. Don't worry. So we want to look at verses 15 to 31 in chapter 14, and really just three, three simple things we want to focus on this morning as we unpack this. Uh, three questions, really. Um, what does it look like to love Jesus? Right, so if you, I want you to think about that as we read and as we study. If you were to say, how do you know that someone loves Jesus? How would you answer? Secondly, who, who helps us in this endeavor to love Jesus? And what is the end result of a life lived loving Jesus? So those are the three questions that we want to uh, unpack. So if you have a Bible, John 14, and we'll start reading in verse 15. If you love me, this is Jesus speaking, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. 
In that day you will know that I am in the Father, in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe." I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The reading of God's Word. So how do you know if someone loves Jesus? I don't, know, I don't know if you ever thought of that. Are there indicators that you would go, okay, clearly that person, that guy, that girl, they love Jesus. Now, we often say, well, it's impossible to tell, right? Because loving Jesus is a heart issue and we can't see someone's heart. And to a, to a certain degree, I agree with that, right? Yes, it's true that we don't know someone's heart. And there could be someone that ha- lives a really good life and he's moral and he comes to church and he ties and he does all the right things. And their hearts might, might be very far from God. So I agree to a certain extent that, sure, it's impossible to really know if someone loves Jesus or not, but are there indicators? Like when we say that person really loves Jesus, or you could word it, you know, that's that's a person that's filled with the Spirit of God. Or if you wanted to word it a different way, that is like an on fire Christian, right? We use that kind of language. Sometimes I think we, we assume that, well, if someone is like doing unbelievable miracles, if they're seeing supernatural things happen to them, or, or if someone like speaks in tongues, or, or someone, you know, leads movements of thousands of people, well, clearly they love Jesus. So what's the barometer? And we're told four times in our passage what the barometer is to loving Jesus, If someone loves Jesus, they will obey him. Four times, right? Let me show you. Verse 15, Jesus says, right at the beginning of our passage, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word And then in verse 24, Jesus uses the the negative aspect of it, and it says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So what what does a person who loves Jesus looks like? It's someone who obeys him. 
Um, I'll give you an example of how this, this plays out. Several years ago, I was having a disagreement with somebody over, and, and maybe um, you, you'll know that. It, it was back before COVID when lots of times traveling evangelists and traveling healers and traveling whatever you want to call them would come to our town and have big events and bring all your sick people and I'll heal them all and the Spirit's going to move in mighty powers and ways. And I was having a disagreement with someone, but their response was, no, 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 we know that they're filled with the Spirit and that they love Jesus because look at all the signs and wonders that they're doing. That's clearly an indicator. And, and, and for instance, like they're, they're so Spirit-filled that they get up on stage and like everybody in the room starts speaking in tongues at the same time. And what I said to that person is, that's actually an indicator that they don't love Jesus because they're disobeying the Bible. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, don't have everyone speak in tongues at the same time. So someone who gets up and says, hey, I really love Jesus, let's all speak in tongues at the same time, you don't love Jesus. You're disobeying him, right? Because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You will obey my commandments. Now, Here's what's interesting. Jesus uses both the word commandments, but then he says, you'll also keep my my words. So we have to understand that when we we say someone who loves Jesus will obey him, obey his commandments, we, we mean much more than just the ethical commands. If you get what I what I mean. Okay, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. Okay, I can check the box and and keep these ethical commands. But Jesus says, you'll, you also, if you love me, you'll keep my words, meaning you'll, you'll do what I've told you to do. So this, this actually means, this goes beyond the recorded words we have of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What Jesus is saying is, if you love me, you'll, you'll obey the entire revelation of Scripture. Because oftentimes, here's where, where we get into trouble, oftentimes Christians will say, well, Jesus never explicitly said X, Y, and Z, so it's a non-issue, right? So in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus never specifically says that homosexuality is a sin, so it's a non-issue. And you go, no, no, no. When Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me, he means the entire revelation of God, all 66 books in our scriptures, that's what he's, what he's getting at, because this idea of loving God and obeying him is found throughout the entire Bible. Like, think about Deuteronomy 6. Um, God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, and then he goes into what, it, what does that actually look like. In Deuteronomy 10, this is what it says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and then look, look what comes last, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord who I'm, uh, which I'm commanding you today for your good. So even in Deuteronomy, it's so similar to what Jesus said. God says, I want you to fear me, I want you to love me, I want you to walk in my ways, and I want you to obey all the commandments that... I'm, I'm giving you, even in 1 John, 1 John 2, 3, it says, by this we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. How do we know if someone loves Jesus, they'll obey him? They'll obey what scripture says. They'll obey the words of Jesus, his commandments, the revelation of God. Now, does this mean then Okay, so if I can just obey all the commands, then that proves that I love Jesus. 
And, and I would say no because you're actually getting the order wrong. Right? You're putting the cart before the horse if you want to use that language. Love of Jesus comes first and then obedience comes. Right? You don't obey so that I love Jesus. You love Jesus, therefore you obey him. Mere duty, so okay, here's what I have to do. Mere duty doesn't gen- generate obedience to Jesus. Only love for him does that, right? Tim Keller, years ago in a book, he said, the difference between religion and the gospel, religion is, well, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But the gospel is, I'm already accepted and loved by Jesus, therefore I will obey him. So, so the order matters, right? We don't just obey, 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 because I want to prove that I love Jesus and I'm earning his love. No, it's the opposite. Jesus has freely given his love to us, Therefore, we obey him. True love, though, of Jesus will manifest itself in willing obedience, an obedience that comes from knowing the deep love that Jesus has for you. It's an obedience that's in response to the gospel, to what has Jesus done for me. So that's a good barometer. Do I love Jesus? Well, am I obeying him? So I'll give you a few examples. The very first really command that Jesus gives a new disciple, so when you surrender to Jesus, you believe in the gospel, um, God has opened your eyes to your need of Jesus, you believe by faith, the first commandment Jesus gives us is get baptized immediately. And I'm not going to do like a show of hands, (laughs) but I know, I know so many Christians are like, no, I'm not going to do it. Do you actually love Jesus? Are you obeying Jesus? Jesus? Jesus commands you to get baptized. It's actually the first thing. What do I do once I believe in Jesus? Get baptized. And I know so many people for different reasons are like, no, I'm not going to do it. Or I'm afraid of being in front of people. Or um, I'm not ready for it. Do you love Jesus? Are you obeying him? Think about your sexuality in the world that we live in. Our world says just do whatever you want with sex. Love and sleep with whoever you want. doesn't matter. Love is love and just do whatever you want. And, you know, waiting for marriage and having sex with only one person, right? Male, don't even get me started. Male and female and that's it. Are you going to actually obey Jesus? Because that's showing that you love him where you go, Jesus, your ways are better. I'm going to obey you because I love you. Or, or, or have you bought into our culture's view of sex? I think largely as Christians, we've bought into our culture's view of sex. The reason I know that is because over the years, out of the dozens and dozens of people that we've done premarital counseling with, close to over half um, have already slept together. And these are Christians who go, yeah, we love Jesus. Okay, well, do you, do you obey him? Even think about the, what's going on in discussions of, of sanctity of life. Are we going to obey what Jesus says, that life is sacred and precious from the moment of conception until the the day that you die old and naturally? Or are we going to go, no, don't like it. I'm going to kill babies in the womb, and I'm also going to let someone decide that they just want to die and they don't want to suffer anymore. Are we going to obey Jesus or not? I mean, we could just go on and on and on and on, on, on examples Now, here's what's interesting. This is why, and you've heard me mention it lots, um, this idea of progressive Christianity, this idea that, you know, 
there's this movement saying, well, Christianity is old and outdated and we have to kind of change with the times and we're not, we, in order to like be relevant and hip and cool and woke and all these words, well, it, maybe we need to like adapt and change and maybe sexuality is not a big issue or maybe all of, all of these things. So here's what's fascinating. In a movement that, that claims that it is Christian, it is disobeying and denying the words of Jesus, proving that those people do not love Jesus. Why? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Now, I get the idea that as Christians, we all still sin, and I'm not suggesting that, man, I sinned yesterday, therefore I don't love Jesus. That's not what I'm suggesting, because, right, we all sin, and we confess and repent, and we turn back to Jesus. It doesn't mean that you'll live a perfect life, but your motivation will be, I want to obey Jesus because I love him. Now, how does this work in a world that is opposed to Jesus? And Judas kind of asked this question in verse 22, and I love that John says, Judas, not Iscariot, <laughs> right? Because we would go, right, Judas just left. So there was another Judas. And Judas asked this question of Jesus. He says, how, Lord, how will you manifest yourself to us, but not to the world? Meaning, Jesus, how, how are you going to show yourself to us, but the rest of the world's not going to see it? How, Jesus, are we, your disciples, how are we going to get it and see you and treasure you and love you and believe you and follow you, and the world's not, right? Because think about it, for the disciples, if, if Jesus is who he says he is, the whole world should just believe in him, right? So they're going, how is it that we'll get it and we'll, we'll see you and the rest of the world won't? I mean, it's a good question. Verse 17 tells us this, and we're going to get into the, the Holy Spirit in a moment, but, but Jesus says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So what Jesus is saying is the reason that you will see me and know me is because the Spirit's going to come and you'll receive the Spirit. The reason the world won't see me and know me is because they can't receive the Spirit because they don't know Him. And it makes sense. The world, by and large, rejected Jesus, who they saw physically right in front of them. So, of course, the rest of the world would reject the Spirit of God who they cannot see. So, the ways of Jesus seem crazy and backwards to the world that we live in. Um, I remember a few years ago, I was flying um, down to Vancouver for some meetings with, for the denomination that we're a part of, and I was sitting near the back of the plane and like the second row, and so the flight attendants, as they're doing their thing in between times, they just kind of sat in the back row. And so I was eavesdropping on their conversation because it was fascinating. So it was a, a woman flight attendant and then a man flight attendant, and they're chatting. And the, the woman was um, uh, engaged to be married. And so the guy was asking her, oh, that's so exciting. Like, you're getting married soon and asking questions about the fiancé and blah, blah, blah. And I, I can't remember how it came up, but the, 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 the girl who was engaged said, oh, no, we're not living together before we get married. And the guy flight attendant, you would have thought that she said, I'm a terrorist on the plane, uh, because he was like, what? You're telling me that you guys are going to get married and then move in together and sleep together and combine your lives? And he said, you're crazy. How do you know that you're compatible? You're not going to live together. You got to try it out before. And she was just kind of like, no, well... 
I don't know if she was a Christian or not, but those are our values, and we just decided we're not going to do it. And you, like, he could not wrap his mind around. That seems insane, right? The ways of Jesus, right? We're going we're gonna to do things a certain way. It seems crazy to the world that we live in, right? You're going to give your money to a church? Don't you know all churches are corrupt? That's the world speaking. That's not me speaking. <laughs> you're you're going you're gonna to give away your vacation time to go on a missions trip? Are you insane? You're going to volunteer at VBS? Free plug. Are you insane? Like, why would you give up a week to, to play with kids, to teach kids? That just makes no sense to the world. You're going to give up your Sunday mornings and sleeping in to go to church? You're going to refrain. Wait, so you're telling me you're not going to go out on Fridays and Saturdays and get drunk and party and sleep around? That seems insane to the world. Especially when you say, oh, it's because I love Jesus that I'm doing this. They go, well, you're, you're a nut job. Here's what's amazing, though. Jesus, Jesus modeled this for us. I don't know if you caught it, but the very end in verse 31, Jesus is talking about that the ruler of the world, Satan, is coming, right? His arrest is, is nearing. But Jesus says, Satan has no claim on me. So what he's saying is that I am in complete control of all the events that are going to happen. And, and this is why Jesus is going to allow himself to be arrested, crucified, and buried. Verse 31, I do as the Father's commanded. Why? So that the world may know that I love the Father. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, if you're, if you're going to love me, disciples, you'll obey me. And I'm about to go and obey my Father to show the world that I love him. So Jesus calls us to obey him out of an act of love, and yet he, he modeled it for us. He obeyed the Father because he loved the Father. Even in verse 28, we have to unpack this a little bit. Jesus says, like, I'm going to go to the Father because the Father is greater than I. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus is, okay, well, maybe he's a lesser God or God the Father's up here and Jesus is like a created lesser being. Uh, this is a verse that many Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons kind of glom onto. They go, see, Jesus even said he's less than God. But that's, that's not what, he, what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is, while I'm on earth, I submitted myself fully to God the Father out of a deep love for him. Right? You'll remember oftentimes Jesus said, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. He's not saying I'm not God or I'm lesser than God. He's just saying out of my deep love for God the Father, I just, I obey him. I submit to him. So it can seem overwhelming. We go, how, do, how do we know that someone loves Jesus? Well, they'll, they'll obey him. And it seems overwhelming when we go, okay, well, I want to obey Jesus. I want to obey his commandments. I want to obey all his, his words. I want to follow what the Bible says, which basically means you are now going to swim upstream in a culture that does not love Jesus, that does not recognize the Spirit of God. And it can seem so overwhelming that you go, man, this seems impossible. Who is going to help me in this? Verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So, right, the first question, how do you know that someone loves Jesus? Well, they obey Jesus. Who helps us in this? Jesus says, I'm going to send you someone, the helper who's going to be with you always. Um, that word helper in, in Greek is parakletos, 
If you want to remember it, just think of parakeet. That's how I remember it. Paraclete, the parakletos, literally the, the, the counselor. And it's interesting, in secular Greek, so in non-biblical Greek, that word parakletos, it means a legal assistant or an advocate, someone who advocates, advocates on your behalf. And, and Jesus says it's the spirit of truth. So this is the Holy Spirit that, that he's talking about, the spirit of God, the third member of the, of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Spirit. He says, this is the helper, the parakletos, the counselor. I'm going to send someone to you. And I love that Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper. Well, you go, well, who's, who's the first helper? Well, the first helper is Jesus, right? And remember, Jesus is leaving, verse 18 and 19. He's like, I'm not going to be here anymore, but I'm not leaving you like orphans. Even in 1 John 2, 1, speaking of Jesus as a helper, as an advocate, It says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, same word, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So Jesus says, I am your helper, but I'm about to leave, but don't worry, I'm going to send you, actually God the Father is going to send you another helper, the Holy Spirit who's going to dwell in you and be with you always. And then in verse 26, he says, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you all things and bring to remembrance everything that Jesus said. So if you've ever wondered, right, so after Jesus is raised from the dead and he, and he ascends into heaven and then there's a, a period of time and then the gospels are written, if you've ever wondered, how did the disciples remember everything? We're told the Holy Spirit is going to bring back to remembrance everything that Jesus said. He's going to help you, disciples, as you write the Bible, So believers, you and I, are baptized, indwelt, and sealed by the Holy Spirit the moment of our conversion. Um, Even Romans 8 9 says a similar thing. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So you're not left alone, right, to, to obey the commandments of Jesus and to swim upstream against culture. Jesus says, I'm not gonna leave you like orphans. I'm not gonna leave you alone. I'm going to send you someone that's going to help you obey me, right? And so this process of of sanctification, we're not left by ourselves. The Spirit comes and and dwells in us and helps us. So the process, right, where we yield our hearts to, to Jesus' authority, where we allow His Word to dominate our attitudes and actions, where Jesus, His words are the things that we meditate on, when His standards become our objective, when His will is our greatest desire, we're not left to just try really hard on our own and fail over and over. Jesus says, I'm going to send you someone. The Holy Spirit's going to bring to, to mind the things that I've, I've taught you. He's going to bring Scripture to mind throughout the day. Have you ever had that happen? Well, all of a sudden it's like, boom, a Scripture, exactly what you need. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not you. Don't give yourself credit. Right? That's the Holy Spirit teaching you and guiding you and walking alongside you as you obey Jesus. I think in some ways we've overcomplicated what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because really what it is is believe in Jesus and then obey him. And we go, well, it's so complicated. We need programs and ideas and things and discipleship pipelines, blah, blah, blah. And I think church is overcomplicated a lot of times too, but really it's simple when you boil it down. Jesus says, believe, have faith in everything that I've done and said, and then obey me. I mean, even Galatians 5 talks about this is what it means to walk 
by the Spirit, and you'll, you'll begin to bear fruit. Romans 8 talks about a life that's, that's led by the Spirit. Even 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God is our helper. He transforms us from one degree to the next. You're not left on your own, church. So someone who loves Jesus will obey Him. And who helps us is the Spirit of God. And then lastly, what is the end result of a life lived of walking with the Spirit and obeying Jesus? The end result is verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The end result of a life obeying Jesus, submitting to Him, walking with the Spirit, is peace. Now, peace, this, this word peace goes, goes so far beyond just the absence of conflict or turmoil. It comes from the Hebrew word shalom, and it's the idea of positive blessing especially in terms of your relationship with God. The word shalom is this idea that um, ah, everything is right in the world. I don't know if you've had moments like that where, um, for me, there's been a few times uh, where, you know, you're in your backyard and the night is just a beautiful night and there's a campfire and your kids, for once, are like getting along, right? And they're roasting marshmallows and you have no worry. And it's like, man, it just feels like everything is right in the world. That's shalom. That's peace. That's the word that, that, that Jesus uses here. It's not just, hey, you won't have any conflict anymore because we know that's not going to happen until Jesus returns, but it's this shalom, this peace with God and from God. So the result of obeying Jesus out of a love for Him through the power of the Holy Spirit is shalom. It's peace. Romans 5.1, so we have peace with God. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace with God, so you're no longer at war with God, at enmity with Him. You're actually, you're forgiven, you're welcomed in, you have peace in your relationship with God. And then Philippians 4.7 says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you have peace with God, and then you have peace from God. He gives you peace. And this is a peace that, that is in your heart that banishes all anxiety and fear, regardless of the circumstances in your life. So many of you know, personally, our family has had like a really crappy year. <laughs> um, last summer, we uh, lost the house that we had bought, and we were kind of nomads for about a month. Um, then in September, I was in a float plane crash and almost lost my life. Um, then Molly's grandma's house burnt down uh, in a tragic accident. And then a few months ago, my wife was in a car crash and her car was totaled. So like, talk about years. We're like, okay, God, is there anything else you want to throw our way? But have we had peace this last year? Without a doubt. So look, Jesus, it's a peace that's not based on your circumstances. 
Like, I can't, I can't even describe, like, the, one after the other, all of these terrible things have happened, and yet throughout the whole year, it's just kind of like, man, everything is right in the world. And you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. I agree. It's a peace that just cannot be explained. And I love that Jesus says, it's not like the peace that the world tries to offer you, right? Because if we were just after the peace that the world offers, it's all based on circumstances, and we would have had no peace this last year. The world offers you peace, offers you shalom. I don't know if you're aware of that. The culture of the world extends its hands and says, here, I will offer you something that makes everything in your life great, but it is powerless to actually give it to you. The world promises peace and it waves the flag of peace and shalom, but it cannot deliver on it. Um, Even back in Jesus' day in, in the Roman culture, they called it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And do you know how ridiculous that is? Because do you know how the peace of Rome operated? It was won and it was maintained by a brutal sword. So it's like someone holding a sword to your throat saying, we just want you to have peace. It makes no sense. That's kind of like what the world offers you. Hey, we got peace for you. We got shalom. We can make your life great. But Jesus says, I'm giving you peace that's not like that. So think about where our our culture has gone in the last 10 years. Offering people peace, right? You you can be whatever gender you want. And if you don't want to be male or female, just make one up. And maybe then you'll be at peace, right? Maybe then your mind will be at peace if you want to carve your body up and switch your genders and be whoever you want to be. Hey, let's burn down our cities and loot and riot to somehow fight against racism. Let's get rid of all police because the police are bad. That will bring us peace, finally. Right? Love whoever you want. Who cares? Whatever makes you happy. So the world is offering peace. And what is the result? Do you feel like the world is more peaceful? What do we have? More brokenness, more destruction, more sin, more depression, more anxiety, more fear. And I'm not trying to be like dramatic, but maybe we're on the verge of like the collapse of society because the world has said, look, we'll offer you peace. Just do whatever you want. Let's just live in anarchy and that will make you happy. And Jesus says, that's not the kind of peace that I want to give you. If you obey me, Jesus says, out of a deep love for me, and if you walk and listen to your helper, the Holy Spirit, you will have peace. And look what he says. You'll you'll have untroubled hearts. Verse 27, don't let your hearts be troubled, and you, you won't have any fear. Verse 21 and 23, Jesus also says that my Father will love you. I mean, you want to talk about peace, to have the love of God the Father That's the result of a life, and here's why it seems so opposite to the world. And and I feel like it's, you know when your kid, um, it keeps doing the same stupid thing over and over and keeps hurting themselves, right? No? Mike? (laughs) And you're telling them, you're hurting yourself because it doesn't work like that. And they're going, no, I can do it. Just, I'll do it again. And they're continually, that's what our world is like. If we just spend enough time, we can figure out how to have peace. And what what brings peace is Jesus. 
and obedience to Him and following what God wants us to, to do, that brings peace. So I want to end by asking you a couple of questions. Do you have peace in your life? And I don't mean, there's, well, there's no conflict and there's no turmoil in your life. That's not what I mean. But in your life, do you have this sense that, man, everything is right? Like blessing from God, right? You're in a right relationship with Him. Do you have this sense of peace regardless of your circumstances? Or are you chasing the peace that the world offers? Because I got to tell you from experience, those are dead ends. Those are dry wells, and they look so shiny, and you think, maybe it'll work. It never does. The world is offering something that it cannot deliver on. The world is lying to you. Well, if you just had a better truck, if you just made more money, if you just had an affair, if you just did this, then you would have peace. They are lies. Um, I may have shared this example before, but I did youth ministry for um, eight years, and I remember once sitting at a Starbucks, and these two, I can't remember if they were grade 11 or 12, but these two um, teenage boys were sitting with me, and they were in our youth group, and by all outward appearances, they loved Jesus, and they were trying to follow Him, and they just said, Andrew, we're just kind of, we're, we're sick of, of doing the church Jesus thing. We just want to try what the world has to offer. It seems so fun, and our friends post stuff, and it just looks like a blast, and, and it just feels like that's going to just bring us joy and happiness, and so we're going to go, and we're going to go try the world for a bit. And, and I remember telling them, okay, go for it. And I'm sure their parents were not happy with me, but I said, go, try it. But I said, but I want you to come back in six months, and we're going to meet and talk about it. That's my only caveat. Go enjoy the world. Please don't go to jail. Don't do anything illegal. I said, go enjoy the world, and in six months, we're going to meet, and you're going to tell me how awesome it was. And six months went by, and we met in the same Starbucks, and do you know what they said to me? It was awful. They said, it is not like what it looks like on TV and on our friends' social media. It was awful. So do you have peace, right? If you look at your life, is your life marked by the sense of, yeah, you know what? Everything's right in my life. Now, I, I don't mean like we won't have full shalom and peace until Jesus returns, but even in the here and now, you can have peace in your life. And if you look at your life and you go, man, my life is not marked by peace, may I suggest that you're probably not doing things the way that Jesus wants you to do, perhaps, if you go, man, I'm, I'm not having any kind of peace or rest, maybe it's because you're trying to, to do what the world does. And so the response then would be, I need to confess and repent. Jesus, I have not done my life the way that you have told me to do. I need to stop doing things my own way or the world's way. I need to, Jesus, I need to obey you. And then it's this seeking to obey Jesus out of a deep love for him, not out of guilt, not out of I'm going to earn something, but where you go, man, look at, look at what Jesus has done, and I want to obey him. And then you listen to the Spirit's guidance, and you walk with him, and you, you spend time in the word, and then you go, okay, well, this is what Jesus is saying, so I need to do it. And I can tell you, conflict and turmoil might not leave you. It might get worse, 
but you will have peace. You will have shalom in your heart where you go, I have peace with God and I have peace from God. Not like the world offers, but what Jesus actually gives. So, Father, I just thank you for your word again. Um, um, it is so uh, convicting. Um, Jesus, you, you spoke these words to your disciples, and yet 2,000 years later, they apply exactly the same to us. Um, Jesus, I just pray for all of us in this room. I, I don't know everyone, but I know uh, that probably most of us want to follow you, that we love you, Jesus. And maybe we've bought into this idea that, well, love of Jesus is just a feeling and it's just, when, when really, Jesus, you tell us that if we love you, we will obey you. However imperfectly and however many times we mess up and try, and we will have this desire to obey you. And so, Jesus, would you help us I thank you that you haven't left us alone, that you didn't say, okay, if you love me, you've got to obey me. Good luck. But you said, no, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm sending you another helper, a counselor, someone who's going to actually live inside of you and help you because, I mean, we can't do it on our own. So thank you that you gave us the Holy Spirit. And so I just pray that as followers of you, that we would listen to the Holy Spirit that we would obey you, Jesus, and that in doing that, that we would find this unbelievable peace. I mean, you can see it. You can see it in our world. The world is desperately trying to find peace, and yet they're doing it in a way that is so backwards to what you said, Jesus. And there's no wonder that no one has peace. So I just pray that we would not be taken in by the shiny things that the world offers, that we wouldn't believe the lies, that if we just had more money or more stuff or more sex or more power or more beauty or whatever it is, that finally we would have peace. I pray, Jesus, that we would seek the peace that only comes from obeying you. Just do that work in our hearts, God. If that means this morning that we need to confess and repent and turn back to you because we've been wandering, I pray that we would do that. If that means someone here who, who doesn't know you yet, Jesus, and yet is tired of striving and striving and striving and striving to get some kind of peace in their lives, maybe that means that that individual finally surrenders to you, Jesus, for the first time. Just do your work in our hearts, God. And I thank you that we're not left alone and that you dwell in us and you help us. And so I just pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.